there is never enough time. We're all trying to increase efficiency and delivery speed to maximize that time. But if we're not careful, it's easy for the need for speed to damage quality. That's why we've brought in Erica Chestnut, head of QA at Calendly, to break down how the world's solution for finding time ensures quality code. This episode is sponsored by Linear B. Give your dev team the power to improve with team-based metrics, high-risk code alerts, and the world's first project board based on real-time Git activity. Sign up free at linearb.io. Erica, thank you for joining the pod today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I want to start with a really big question. How is quality strategy changing at modern companies versus how it's been done for the last decade or so? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if I could say it's more of a hope that quality is changing. I hope that QA organizations are taking more ownership. They're taking more ownership of the quality conversation as a whole and not just the test step. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are a lot of organizations that actually what I see is that the construct of quality, the concept of quality assurance has been smushed in to the test step. It is now combined with the test step so much that there's a confusion between quality assurance and the test step in quality assurance, the function inside of quality assurance. I hope that there are more organizations that are starting to see that concern, but I see a lot of organizations that are looking and talking about quality assurance as a single test step. And that moves into why they're driving towards automation as the only thing that they need to do when it comes to quality assurance. Let's dive into the details there a little bit. You're kind of saying some companies think, okay, automation is the only thing that we should be doing and that would make us really good from a QA perspective. But what's kind of the other side to that or, or what, are, what are most companies missing then? Test automation is absolutely necessary. It is necessary in our DevOps, lean, get it out there fast world. However, it is a tool in the toolbox of your testers. It is something that they leverage. It's like a, a GUI that you use to develop. It is a tool <laughs> that gets you the quality that allows you to assess that quality. And they're missing that larger conversation around the construct of quality, the ideals of quality, the standard, and how when you create those standards and you create those processes and policies, that you are creating that consistency, that continuity that results in quality. But when you're only talking about that test step, you miss the opportunity to set the level, to set the bar, and to allow others to lead quality across the delivery lifecycle. And you're waiting, you're waiting to test, you're waiting to write test automation, waiting to write acceptance criteria, you're waiting for testing and waiting to assure quality. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to. Totally makes sense. So if we took a look kind of at the software development life cycle, when should quality, you know, qu come into play? I think you're alluding to maybe, you know, earlier than just maybe automated testing at the end. But how do you look at it from uh, the SDLC perspective? They should come in at the very beginning analysis. When you start talking about what are we going to build? Why are we going to build it? Does it make sense? Does it fit in here? Your test team is the team that is exercising the entire system on a regular basis. Go talk to them. 
find out what what do you think about pushing this this particular feature into the system in this particular way? What are the type of issues that you see or that you have seen when we add functionality in this area of the system? Are there dragons there? Do we typically trip over ourselves? Do we have the appropriate type of coverage? Do we see our customers complaining about areas in the system? What makes the most sense? How are our customers going to be impacted? Your test team is seeing this. If it's not just test automation and they are exercising the system, they are your customer's voice. They are integrating their, they're hopefully collaborating closely with your CX team. So they're hearing those conversations. They're seeing those issues raised. They have context. And we need to create space and recognize the value and the impact that the quality team can have on these conversations and also the opportunity that they have to drive things like documentation in those areas, workflow diagrams and personas, being able to to drive those conversations and then leverage them as part of their test cycle. You know, a lot of companies that I've seen in kind of maybe a more modern mindset from what I've seen in the community would say something like, we don't need a QA team. Quality and automation is baked in from day one and all these tests run and then we continuously deploy from there. And we have no one in the company named like QA. What would you say to someone with that mindset? You can make it work, but I can find gaps. I don't agree with it. I've seen it. It's possible. There are gaps. I don't know many programs that have a focus or CS programs, IT programs, business management programs that have any focus on quality assurance in the conversation. They talk about components of quality assurance. They talk about unit testing, right? They talk about integration or API testing, but they're not talking about that test strategy, creating that cohesive and comprehensive conversation around testing. So when you have developers that are focused on writing automation, they have blinders on. They are looking to build automation that is supportive of the functionality that they are building at the time. And rightfully so, they are translating a human conversation to ones and zeros for the machine to then turn it back into a human consumable conversation for the customer. So I get that. But with those blinders, they're saying, I have this requirement, I have this test. But is that comprehensive? Is it cohesive? Are you creating redundancy or duplication unnecessarily? Do you now have unnecessary bloat because you're not looking across the entire test strategy conversation. So it can be done, but you lose some efficiency, you lose value, you lose opportunities to really create a um, that cohesive strategy, in, in my opinion. In the beginning of the pod, you kind of talked about maybe some standards or policies, and you're mentioning a more I think, holistic view of a quality strategy. A lot of the times that actually just falls onto the VP of engineering themselves. They don't even have kind of like a quality partner to work with. Can you talk about the process of creating a really great quality strategy and some important factors to keep in mind? Define quality. That's the first start. Define it. What are your standards? What bar do you want to jump over? What bar do you want to pole vault over? What is it so that everybody understands it? Make sure that everybody is 100% clear on what quality is and align it with your core values. Because now if your company is talking about your core values and then you've aligned your quality conversation with what the company says that their vision and mission is and what's important to them, now we're all talking about the same thing as it relates to quality. 
we're all empowered in that space. So then you set those standards that align with that definition. How do we meet this definition? How do we achieve this? What are the policies? What are the expectations for that? And what are the processes? How do we do it? What are the touch points? How do we make sure that we're we're walking this path to meet these standards, meet these expectations and drive this forward? So we want to define those things. You want to define quality and how to actually achieve it, which also tells you who is responsible in that conversation as well. Yeah, that's really cool. So for example, at Calendly, is that a conversation that you bring to the executive table first? Hey, what does quality mean for our company? Or like, how do you approach that people-wise? Well, for me, I started with our core values. What is it that we're interested in? What do we stand for? What's important to us? This company is so very different than any company I've ever been in. Our core values are deeply embedded into the organization. It's phenomenal. It's something I've never seen. It's very refreshing. We hold ourselves and each other accountable. And we drive that conversation for our customers based on our core values. And one of our top ones is start with human. And so because of that, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we start with human on our conversation around quality? We care about our customers. We're focused on our customers. We need to be customer focused outside in. How does that impact? What does that conversation look like? I'm no longer saying we had this many defects. What does that mean for the customers that we care about? How do we start with human with that data? What does it translate to? And how does it impact our customer focus? How does it impact our ARR? How does it impact the things that we are looking at? So when I'm taking those conversations to the business, when I'm talking to executives, I'm saying, this is how this impacts the things that you are looking at and the things that you care about most and why and how it drives our strategy, how it changes how we're delivering quality, how, how we're assessing quality and what we're looking at and talking about as it relates to quality. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you share with us what are some of your standards or policies that you're using within your organization as it relates to quality that has worked well for you? One of the very first things that I do uh, when I consult, especially with businesses, because it's it's something that's usually missing, is as part of the conversation around defining quality, what is your severity? What is your severity matrix? And what are your SLAs? Because oftentimes businesses will have a backlog of bugs years old, and they're overwhelmed by the magnitude of it, but they want to resolve them. It's like, okay, let's get really clear. What is your priority? How do you assess your severity of these issues so that you understand the functional impact of an issue versus the number of people that are impacted? And what does that mean for your business, right? Because based on the niche, there could be some differences in that. There's going to be differences in a medical team's severity versus a scheduling company's severity. There's going to be differences in that. What is the response, the the service level agreements? what What are the responses? So I oftentimes will start there to say, let's define these things. Let's set the standard in this place. Those are some of the policies that I typically will implement. For example, at Calendly, is it more important the severity of the issue or is it like the number of customers affected? How do you think about it? That's the matrix. It's both. It's both. So you have the functional issue. The severity of the issue should be assigned based on a matrix, which includes the number of customers impacted on the X and the impact of the issue. Is it negligible versus critical? Does it take the entire system down? But does it only take this on on the Y? So does it take the system down for one customer? That's not going to be a step one. 
right? Mm-hmm. Does it take the system down for 50% of customers? That's going to be a step one. Like, what is that? What is that leveling? And that will be, that's a conversation with the business to really understand what's our threshold. This is subjective for companies. What's your business's threshold? What's considered negligible for you versus from a functional impact versus what's considered critical? Understanding those defining quality, setting those standards, and then saying, okay, we all understand what it means when we have a SEV1 issue versus when we have a SEV3 issue. And then we have commitments in place to say how we want to resolve that based on what it means in our organization to have a severity three issue or a SEV1 issue. Yeah, totally got it. So let's say, you know, I'm either a VP of engineering or I'm the head of quality. I have that conversation with the business. What's important? What's a SEV1? What's a SEV2? What's a SEV3? And now I'm trying to measure, am I successful or are we successful from a quality perspective? Is it just how many issues are being created that fit into each one of those severities? Or what data points do you look at to understand, is your QA strategy successful or not? Some teams will absolutely look at the base. How many defects do I have? And measure themselves on that metric. Did I have less than X percent of SEV1 this quarter or SEV2 or SEV3? That is a KPI, but is it the most valuable? And then I go back to, if I'm asking if it's the most valuable, How are we framing that conversation? How are we telling the story of quality? Why are we telling the story of quality? What are we trying to get to? So again, then I go back to, are we customer focused outside in? I want to know if I use Kelly as as an example and we're starting with human and we're looking from the outside in, how is quality impacting our customers? So what type of escalations are coming in? Is it UX? They didn't understand how the system worked. Is it functional? It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Is it request? We didn't build the right thing. That's the success of the quality strategy, being able to understand how our system, what we've delivered ultimately is impacting our customers. Do they love it? Do they hate it? Are they struggling with it? Do we understand user experience for our customers? Are we delivering something that's valuable for our customers? You know, one of the hardest things to kind of measure is around that experience side or kind of like, do you understand what this, let's say, feature does as a customer or are you getting what you needed from this feature? Is there any way that you are measuring that today? I think you mentioned maybe, you know, questions coming in, but Is that what it is or or how are you doing it today around the experience aspects? We're turning the box on, on the metrics and saying, all right, how many, we're looking at our customer escalations to monthly active users, and then also aligning that with what type of customers are escalating issues. And is there a churn rate? Can we connect any churn with that? Do we see customers leaving that have raised issues in particular areas? Again, what does the story of quality tell us about our customers? And what we're delivering, are they happy? Are they unhappy? Are we giving them what they need? We're looking at our production quality as it relates to how our customers are engaging the system. Adoption and usage rates. What does quality look like in our high adoption versus low adoption? Is low adoption because there's a quality issue there? Is low adoption because there's a user experience issue there? What type of escalations are coming in that in that issue? So we want to understand the customer journey and overlay quality to help inform that conversation. 
I think what's really nice of how you describe quality and the way that you look at it is it can really translate back to the executive table. Mm -hmm. Like you could say something like our churn rate is this and here's why I think our churn rate is whatever it is from a quality perspective. That's something pretty powerful because usually there is a little bit of an issue translating engineering or quality to the executive table. And I don't know if you are sitting in the executive room or kind of that business room, but if you are, have you been able to have that conversation with a CEO about churn or how has that gone for you? Yeah, that is a developing conversation. So I love being here at Calumny because I am able to get in the room and have those conversations and talk about the impact of quality on the bottom line. It is that how do we map it to what the business cares about? It's the customer. So what is the value of quality? It is the impact on the customer. And so making sure that we're making that connection. So we're not talking about the CEO, yes, cares that we had X number of sub ones. But what does that translate to in the end? What is that storyline? That conversation is developing here for me and has been very interesting to, to really map that journey. And it's, it's data, right? We have to make sure that we have access to that data. So what is our CX team reporting? How does that, what's the traceability? So having those processes, those systems in place that create the traceability from a customer escalation into engineering and being able to then look at that data. Those are processes that you put in place to then create that culture of quality and be able to have those type of conversations. Yeah, that's really cool. I took a note here that I want to touch on taking us back earlier into the conversation one more time. Again, a lot of teams that I talk to now, they don't have a QA team. They -hmm. just have automation. And that's kind of the trend that I'm seeing. And you mentioned that, you know, there can be some gaps, you would say, if you do not have a QA team. What do you have your QA team focus on the most in terms of testing? Like, what are they doing day to day? Right now at Calendly, our team actually does not deliver automation. That's changing. The organization started as an engineering-born organization, as most SaaS products do, but the engineers were delivering automation. And so they They deliver that today. Our testers, they are equipped. They have backend and development experience and they are equipped for that. The short answer is that they focus mostly on manual testing today. That's a shift that we're making though, is that we want to peel away a lot of that end-to-end top-heavy tests that our our, um, engineers are delivering. We want them focused on those, that unit test layer. But our team is driving that conversation around our entire test pyramid to set that strategy for that cohesiveness and that comprehensiveness of the test strategy and then separating out those the roles and drivers of each of those layers in the conversation. Yeah, I got you. One of the things that I have seen that some companies do with more so of a manual QA team is instead of just doing like the manual tests, like a traditional test, They'll do something like you are testing the experience Mm -hmm. as an end user. Like, does this feature make sense? Were you able to use it and get value out of it? Now, Mm -hmm. that might also be, you know, customer experience or something like that. But wanted to get your thoughts. Have you seen anything like that before? Are you doing anything around manually testing from an experience standpoint? Yeah, that's very much exploratory testing, right? That is the value of exploratory testing. Absolutely. Our testers aren't just doing that manual test step. It is 
integrating into the development team and, and really driving that conversation, creating opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities to engage on the test strategy with the developers, which creates the space for them to do more of that exploratory testing. So we have those more manual regression cycles, but we're partnering in very closely with the engineers to leverage the automation that, that they built. So we're not doing redundant work. You know, we're not duplicating the effort that's already delivered in automation. Sure. So we have space for things like the exploratory testing and to really provide that user-centric type feedback. Okay, cool. Yeah, great, great to know. And thanks for diving into the details there. I want to say a phrase that I think every engineering leader probably has heard one time or another and kind of get your immediate reaction to it. Okay. Everyone owns quality. <laughs> My immediate reaction is, is laughing apparently. Yes, but what are they responsible for? This phrasing is, it started with Agile, right? With, with the rollout of Agile, everybody's responsible for quality. We're all team members and quality is everybody's jam. Yes, but they don't specify the what and the how. What are they responsible for and how are they responsible for it? And therein lies the gap. Because it's like everybody's QA's response, everybody, uh, testing is quality is everybody's responsibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is high quality. I'm delivering this. This is, this. yeah, this is good. No, what is the standard? What is the expectation that you must meet? How are you going to do that in your business area to ensure quality continues down the line? In an organization that's, delivering a software product, there's so many different types of people that contribute to a great product, like just to name a few of them. You have developers, you might have a separate QA, you have product people, you might have customer experience, you might have UX people, like a lot of pe people contribute. How do you think quality ownership should be broken down within an organization and who should own what? I think it should be based on the test pyramid. I think you should start with your, your, your traditional test pyramid, unit integration end to end. And then in within your organization, understand where do your skill sets lie? Can quality own unit testing? Yes, seen it, works, great. Is that every organization? No. I really hate to give, this is the model, this is the expectation, this is what everybody should do because I don't believe that quality is that. I believe quality delivery, quality definition is subjective. It is based on the domain. It is based on the company culture, the culture of quality. What do they need to achieve their standards? So yeah, de development can be responsible for all of it. What are your standards? And are you meeting those standards? QA can be responsible for all of it. What are the standards? And are you meeting the standards? I don't think it's as simple as saying who should be responsible for ownership. I think it's more about what is that ownership first? And then you begin to define how is that broken up within your specific organization? Okay. Let me try to ask the question, but from kind of okay. a, rever a reverse way, okay. which, you know, I understand every organization's, you know, a little bit different, but a lot of organizations out there are providing SaaS 
tools and Calendly, I think has lots of many, many users. I've used it before. I think lots of people on the planet have used it. So let's (laughs) say like that type of organization. Do you have any tips of what an organization should look to avoid or a setup that you've seen maybe doesn't work and you wouldn't recommend? Do not reduce quality assurance to a single test step in the delivery lifecycle. Do not reduce the conversation to a test step, whether you have a manual test team or an automation test team or exploratory or or UAT, do not reduce the concept of quality to that single step in the cycle because you essentially create waterfall in an agile environment because you are not leveraging the test team throughout the entire conversation or leveraging testing thought leadership throughout the entire conversation to drive quality inside the iterative agile cycle. Do not create waterfall inside of an agile cycle by saying, we have a test step. This is when test automation occurs. Even the idea of, okay, I built something as a developer and I built my automation and I pushed it into the build and now my automation is running against the build. Did you build the right automation? Did you put the appropriate coverage in place? Have you met the standards? Like, how are you measuring that? How are you monitoring that? What's your strategy for ensuring that you're meeting an appropriate standard that will provide value to your customers. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that advice. <laughs> uh, really good. Cause I, you know, I think it is right. If there's one takeaway here, you know, don't make it one step. Cause then you have the kind of the complete wrong mindset, like nothing is going to go well from there. This has been a really cool conversation, Erica. And thank you so much for joining the pod today. Thank you. I had fun. This is a great conversation. Now, I know that you're doing a little bit with coaching and maybe some consulting. Can you tell us, you know, if we want to learn more about that, you know, what's going on in that world for you? Yeah, I have, you know, I've been speaking more in the last year uh, since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, you're home, you don't have to travel to go speak. So I've been doing that a little bit more and really enjoying it. And I've I've started coaching and uh, that has been I love that one-on-one and getting to hear what other companies are doing and, and even helping, you know, this is, it's growth opportunity for me. It's like turn the box a different way. A company's doing it differently. Why? Does that make sense? And, and is, is there opportunity to, to improve in other areas? But I'm also doing consulting. I love working with founders and executives on these exact topics. I'll come into organizations and it's like, hey, can you, can you fix this? Can you transform this? And usually that initial conversation is, let me help you socialize the value of quality, not just the test step. Let me help you socialize the value of your test team, all the things that they can do. And so I've started working with founders of companies and executives to bring that conversation in. And I'll do training and workshops to really help them see and lay the foundation and set those standards and processes and policies. Check me out on ericachestnut.com. Grab some time with me if you're interested and we can talk about what your needs are. Sounds great. So everyone definitely check out ericachestnut.com if you're interested in some consulting and advice. Also be sure to join the Dev Interrupted Discord community where we keep this type of conversation going all week long. And you can find all of the information that we just talked about in the links below. Thank you again, Erica. Thank you for having me, Dan.